Welcome to School of PE Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Miller, and I'm so glad that you could join me this week. We are going to discuss topics about FE, PE, and SE, and we're also going to answer questions that will help students prepare for their exams. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the School of PE's weekly podcast. I'm Chris Miller, and today I got a special guest with us here, Mr. Charles Hubbard, um, his first time on the show, so let's welcome him aboard. Charles, thanks for coming on, and um, before we get into things, maybe you can uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Sure. Um, I've been working for uh, Braun Intertech, uh, a professional consulting firm for you know, something on the order of 33 years, and I had a uh, five years of experience with a couple of firms out uh, on the West Coast before that. And um, I think for about the last 15 years or so, I've been mostly involved in flood protection projects, landslides uh, associated with oil and gas in Western North Dakota, um, that sort of thing. So that's kind of become a little bit of my niche. Uh, and I do a lot of um, process and practice um, work for the company in terms of setting the, the standards for our engineering group. Very nice. Well, again, hey, it's great having you here. Hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving holiday and uh, back into the swing of things. I did. Thank you. Sure. So where are you out of, uh, Charles? Uh, currently, I'm living in Grand Marais, Minnesota. My uh, company's headquarters is in Bloomington, Minnesota. And uh, we have offices that pretty much cover the 35 corridor, you know, from... Uh, oh, wow work as far as Western North Dakota. Uh, we have offices as far as Western North Dakota, throughout Minnesota, uh, Iowa, Kansas City, and uh, Texas, Oklahoma, a little bit on the Gulf Coast. Um, so that that's kind of our uh, our region. Uh, and we have a lot of, uh, you know, groups that handle things operationally uh, between there. Most of my work actually has been in North Dakota for the last decade or so. So I travel a lot. Yeah, man, but a lot of cold you're in. North Dakota, I'm actually, I, uh, Grew up uh, two years in North Dakota, Minot, North Dakota. My dad was stationed out there, and all I remember is it was cold. Yeah, we're doing our third phase of flood protection in there since the 2011 flood event. Um, oh, wow. So uh, there's a lot of work going on there right now. Well, hopefully you guys will avoid the winter. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> Just wear another hat. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember it's cold. Um, so we have an interesting topic today. We're going to talk about technical competency in the real world. So, um, you know, let's kind of jump into that. And so, you know, people might be wondering what in the heck is that even mean? So if you could maybe give a nutshell version or maybe a more in-depth version is what is project competency? Yeah, this is part of a, I selected this just because um, we can all discuss technical things that, you know, we're good at. We want to learn how to calculate something. But um, I, I did this for the benefit of our engineers in training and those that are project engineers looking to become a PE uh, basically, the uh, a competency is defined by the Oxford Dictionary. I've got a few of my uh, slides from my presentation here. Um, a, spe a speaker's subconscious intuitive knowledge of the rules of their language often contrasted uh, with performance. And so it's really not uh, just about understanding how to use the tools that you have technically, uh, because you can do that poorly, you know, or you can use the tool well, but apply it in, in, the, in the wrong situation. So what we're trying to do is to, um, you know, understand um, what's important and, uh, you know, know how to apply what we know to different situations because you're uh, constantly um, being presented with a, a new problem. 
that requires a different set of parameters. You might be put into a new venue, a different environment geologically. Um, you know, so what you what you know is, uh, you know, a small portion of what you need to be able to do. Uh, and that's really what that's all about is, uh, you know, approaching things carefully so that um, you, you know, go through your process and do things consistently um, in the best way possible, completely as possible to solve the problem with, you know, uh, limited mistakes, right? <laughs> Short and sweet. I like it. So, you know, you hear about several different types of competency, right? So you have your project competence, technical competence. How do those two differ? Yeah, well, technically it's, it's really just, um, uh, again, knowing, knowing how to use the, uh, the programs, you know, knowing how to do a calculation. What is, how do you compute the seepage force, uh, in an embankment and the process competency would be, you know, understanding a little bit more about uh, potential failure mode. So we, we know what seepage can do and we can analyze it, uh, but where do we look to find where it's going to be a problem? Um, and how important is it in a given situation? The other thing is, um, you know, we can have our toolbox with us, be prepared to uh, solve a problem and do some calculations, but we, we might not... Uh, um, have the information we need to, to apply those tools correctly. I, I have a, a project example where uh, was called out to look at an oil pad and they thought there was a landslide that was occurring because the pad had a crack going through it and there was some mm -hmm. subsidence. But we started looking around and realized that it looked more like uh, uh, subsidence or loss of material through some voids or something different. And um, uh, I was asking questions. Well, who knows something? Who took some pictures? What happened during construction? Um, and so finally, at some point, a few weeks later, somebody sent a picture um, where they showed how they had dug, a, you know, 30 foot wide trench, 10 feet deep all the way through the pad. And they put a bunch of, um, of huge boulders in there that they had uh, excavated out from a slope and then kind of buried that. Well, that's what was, you know, particles were migrating into those rocks. And so they had some subsidence years later, uh, you know, but until we had those facts, we you know, we weren't uh, really able to apply the tools that we had because mm -hmm. we didn't know what the problem was, you know. So that kind of um, situation where you, you know, can think about what, uh, you know, what questions to ask, what might have been going on, you know, that that's the difference there is the is part of that intuition, discovery experience, um, that sort of thing, knowing, knowing how to handle the problem. That makes sense. So, you know, when it comes to competencies or shortcomings, I guess there's ways that you can maybe improve or enhance, right? So let, let you know, you'd look at technical or even skill competency. Let's say, you know, let's take a sport example. And then uh, let's say you're a basketball player and you, you can't dribble with your left hand. Um, so we, we might want to improve. You might, you know, practice dribbling with your left hand and only your left hand or you're doing some separate drills. So those are some easier ways to address competencies. But how can an engineer Im improve project competency? Yeah, it's, it's experience. Um, and the way to accelerate that, uh, use your experience in, in the way to, uh, to maximize your growth is to be asking questions, is to be learning from not just, you know, others, mentors, uh, people in your own firm with similar experience, um, like geotechnical engineering. Uh, it might be asking contractors when you're on a, when you're a technician, asking contractors, how do you, how do you use this equipment that you use and, and what happens, you know, when um, you have excess moisture in your soils or trying to get compaction, um, learning how other people do their work, 
mm-hmm. uh, helps you understand because um, there's sort of a, a joke, you know, you go out to a site and everybody says, oh, the engineer showed up, right? And they think you're, you know, you're kind of this dummy, that <laughs> you're technical, you just you come out here and you crunch numbers, but you don't understand anything about what they're doing. And you kind of don't. I mean, if you're all mm-hmm. theoretical, um, you need to understand, you know, uh, how things are built. Um, and then, uh, you know, and that varies region to region. People use different equipment in different areas. You can't have the same expectations. Mm-hmm. So um, learning, 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 you know, and, and when you're out uh, with another engineer, you get a chance to uh, participate on a project mm-hmm. reconnaissance or something, ask questions, you know, don't just follow the person around and, and have them tell you what they do or tell you what, what happens, you know, um, what, what's going to happen in the next situation. If you were the one sent out to the next site and there were some things that were different, what would you do? How would you handle that? You know, so it's really just gobbling up, you know, everything, everybody knows that you, that you touch in your, in your projects. Um, and it's very important to, uh, you know, understand construction and, mm-hmm. and uh, talk with structural engineers too. you know, have all that knowledge. The more you know about how other, what other people know and how they do their work, you know, the better you'll be. And, you know, getting to the education point, the more you share about what you do and how you do it, you know, then then you start having these symbiotic relationships with people with other disciplines. And now you can speak each other's language and understand how you you uh, work together, you know, to get things done. I 100% agree with you. I mean, you know, asking questions is a great thing. You know, sometimes you have someone that, like you said, maybe you're shadowing someone on a job site and you're just simply following them around. You, you might be, you know, kind of engulfing what you're seeing being done, but without asking questions, you don't know maybe why something's being done or, or how something's done, being done. So I think asking questions is, is key. Um, yeah. Another another thing, excuse me, is that, you uh, um, you know, it's also up to the mentor or the person doing that, uh, leading that effort to check in to not, not just assume that the person is learning something. You know, I, I've had two people out on projects recently with me and, you know, one, one of them uh, we got done and I was surprised that this person said, Hey, don't, don't leave, don't leave yet. Cause we were in separate vehicles. He said, I have some questions, you know, and I was really impressed by that because uh, you're kind of surprised because most people don't ask questions. And then I had another recon where uh, the person was with me and just kind of letting me do the do the mm-hmm. work and 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 feeling pretty comfortable that I was addressing the problems, but wasn't expressing the same kind of interest in becoming me, you know what I mean, or learning right. and was on the phone sometimes and things like that. So uh, business wise, you know, not with their <laughs> family, but um, it, it's important, you know, if you if you want to be uh, functioning at a higher level, then, then you, you know, you have to pursue it. No, I agree. And I I agree, too, that it is a two-way street, right? I mean, even as the person doing the leader and the mentoring, they should also, you know, kind of be aware maybe the body language or their lack of engagement from the person that's shadowing them to to maybe take the the next step and and ensure that what they are learning is, in fact, you know, being, I guess, uh, driven across. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've been talking about competencies and and things like that. But, you know, what are some of the qualities of a competent practitioner? Yeah. And so this is basically what does that person look like that knows stuff, right? Um, yeah. You know, so I, I have a, I had a slide to show, you know, those people in my firm and, you know, this is a person that seeks to understand. Um, I, I, you know, like I said, I've been in the business almost 40 years. I'm still learning something all the time. I'm still coming onto sites where I'm scratching my head. I feel like I'm bumping the ceiling of my knowledge. And so I have to have a process in place 
that allows me to feel like I, I can handle it, you know, um, and, and, and also be aware that I'm, I have vulnerabilities and, you know, weaknesses and gaps. So, you know, we're looking to, you know, we're understanding earth materials and their behavior, the role of geology and structural stability. Um, and this is from a geotechnical perspective, of course, impact of construction on geologic materials, and it works both ways. What is the site going to do? Could, could the site do to your project? And what are you going to do to the site? You know, uh, it can fail both ways, but, uh, you know, a person who's pursuing uh, and gaining in both, uh, you know, process mm -hmm. uh, skills and technical skills, training, practice, research, reading, tinkering, um, uh, you know, playing with stuff. Um, it's not, you know, the stuff you're using on a computer isn't gospel. It's helping you either visualize or numerically qualify something. But you still have to make use judgment, you know, to determine whether it's right. reasonable. Um having successes and learning from that assessments, application, you know, growing. Um, if you're, if you're something else, you know, you can either be, uh, uh, you know, you can be apathetic about it. You can be unaware of, of the things that are going to get you in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to learn your lesson eventually by getting it, finding yourself into court or, you know, something <laughs> like that, um, you know, uh, unbalanced. Uh, you're not, you're not complete. You know, you don't understand these other disciplines careless, uh, complacent, overconfident, inflexible, um, impatient, and distrustful. So, um, you know, the, there's a lot of people that there's a sort of a phase of growth where you, you have five to 10 years of experience and you think you've arrived, you know, <laughs> um, and, and you do know a bunch of stuff, but then, but then there's always going to be every number of years or uh, as you move up into certain skills, uh, a time when you get reset. Um, you know, something happens and you're like, oh, oh boy, wow. You know, I, I didn't see that coming. Uh, and if you don't think about that, then you're either going to retreat back and be an ordinary person working on those projects that don't kick you, um, or you're going to learn and grow and, and become better and, you know, be reputable and, uh, you know, as a consultant and those kinds of things. So um, that, that's kind of what's that, what that's about. No, I like it. And, you know, sometimes you're right. You learn a lesson in the hard way, but sometimes that's a, it's a difficult pill to swallow. Um, you know, you, like you said, you can find yourself in court or, or even worse. Um, you know, we've all heard the term wing it, you know, right? Like you kind of fake it. Um, a lot of times it sometimes it doesn't come back to bite you in the behind and, and sometimes it does, you know, and, and we've all been there where maybe we've faked it or winged it to where you know like maybe during a presentation instead of having a, a prepared slide you're just gonna kind of go off a of memory or just kind of spew it and, and see how it goes but um you know when it comes to technical competencies yeah you can maybe fudge it or, or wing it but there I, there's got to be times and maybe you've seen it charles is where it's been very where the lack of competency or the winging of it has led to maybe a dangerous situation or a life-threatening situation have you experienced any of that uh yeah um and 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 now this is this is um i'll, I'll temper that just by saying it's not like uh, i saw somebody that was doing something really stupid or this was just idiotic or something but it, it it it's just one of those things where like in my business in the uh certain market sectors uh companies do things the way they do them you know and so for example there's uh, in oil and gas, there's thousands of miles of road access roads. There's thousands of pads. There's thousands of, you know, pipelines and things like that. So the percentage of projects that have problems is very small, you know, because they have a system. They kind of know what they're doing. But at the same time, 
um, it's very important to spend you know money only where you know it's going to directly apply to your returns. And so, doing an, a geotechnical evaluation on a on a you know in the Badlands area out in Western North Dakota is typically not done. And so, there every once in a while, then you know there's a landslide or something like that. And so you know, I can come onto a site and uh, there's a uh, water intake structure on Lake Sacagawea um, that was built right on the shoulder of a landslide. And, you know, going out there at the time, some cracks showed up. I'm like, wow, you're really lucky. You, you know, you, you either are really smart that you chose this location because you're 10 feet away from disaster or, or, um, you know, uh, you're just really lucky. And uh, so, you know, I don't know exactly which, but um, you know, when you, when you come to a situation where now you're out there to solve a problem like that, it's much mm -hmm. different. Um, and in that case, uh, we came up with some, uh, recommendations to analyze and evaluate, determine how to, how to, uh, if there was a need to make the structure safe. Um, and in the meantime, as we went through that process, um, uh, a very large, uh, slide occurred. Well, the landslide was already there, but it mobilized. And oh, so- wow. I don't know, you know, I, uh, several acres, you know, 15 acres of land moved uh, over the wow. course of a couple of days, maybe 100 to 100 feet a day kind of a thing. Um, and so, you know, you get a call, you're 10 hours away, you got to come out here, the, the ground is moving and our building's at risk. And, um, you know, what are you going to do? So, you, you know, we show up and, uh, um, you know, everybody's looking at me like, tell us what to do. And you've got um, <laughs> the soil beginning to pile up and start moving toward the building. Is it, it literally like a lava flow, you know, is going mm -hmm. to take it out? Um, well, you know, if, if uh, uh, you know, if I didn't have a process to think about what's going on, well, you know, I, I could have just sat there and then people would have been pretty disappointed. So, but, you know, we had to uh, immediately say, you know, I need you to get a dozer down there. We need to start, uh, you know, regrading this area. We need to move the soil away from the building so it doesn't overtake it. We need to then regrade mm -hmm. the area upslope to remove driving forces that are helping move this whole thing. And mm -hmm. it took a took an entire day of, of work to actually get it to the point where the threat was reduced to minimal amount. And we had to return to the area immediately adjacent to the building because as soon as we um, swept the, you know, the soil heaving up there within a couple of minutes, it was lifting up again. You know, you, you could hear the, hear the ground moving. It was very interesting experience. Um, and so, you know, that required some, uh, thinking on my part about, well, how is this thing moving in the first place and where is it important to do some work and how will that affect it? And then what else do we need to do? You know, we needed to get, um, they had some temporary pumps in place from mm -hmm. a couple of days before uh, near the lake to, to bring water to this, the local communities. Um, and I said, you know, you need to get those pumps out of the way. And the next day, the land that they were on was in the lake, you know, so wow. they, could have, they could have lost their water supply. I mean, th these weren't life issues, but they certainly were life convenience issues and equipment issues. And and so, you know, it took quite a while to, to get that site back into shape and we're still not kind of done. And now that the, uh, the large event has occurred and subsided and, and conditions are, are more stabilized out there, now there's a new threat, you know, because the, what, what that movement left behind was another scenario for another chunk to come down later. So now we're trying to see if they can find funding to, you know, enhance the project that we did the first time, which, which kept the building from being inundated, but won't 
keep it from another episode, you know, so there's yeah, all of these layers and um, it, it's not, yeah, this was something much different than just the, uh, can you do a stability analysis on this slope? You know, it mm -hmm. became a, a living project, you know, and it's still out there. So um, yeah, that's, that's probably a, a one example. I appreciate you sharing that. It's a, I mean, for being a listener, it's an exciting example, um, you know, but uh, thanks for sharing that. So, you know, when you talk about, you just mentioned projects and when we talk about projects there, you know, there's, there's processes and there's phases and, and, and can you maybe describe some of the, an engineer's role on some of these project phases, such as permitting? Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I was able to present uh, uh, something that included this well at the AIPG national conference a couple of years ago. And I was talking to, um, presenting uh, basically in the context of my oil and gas work out in Western North Dakota. And uh, just kind of my, my intentions were to let people know that, hey, we can actually get involved much earlier on in your project uh, at less cost to you, right? How much mm -hmm. does it cost to drive 10 hours to get to a landslide, spend two days nursing it, and then, you know, keep going with that versus having, you know, casually gone out and, and done a reconnaissance, you know. So, um, but we recommend trying to get involved with people uh, at the at the point where they're planning, not actually building, because mm -hmm. then they can make better decisions. We can help guide them, you know, without the risk of committing to a certain area or getting into a hazard or something. So, uh, you know, permitting is just, uh, you know, when if, if people are checking things out, like how much land do we need to acquire? Can we fit our project within the limits? And do we want this site, you know? Uh, we've done reconnaissance just to tell people don't build here, find another place because <laughs> because it's obvious that there's a landslide here, you know. So and then if they are committed to that, then there's the design phase. So if, if you're intending to build a pad and you're going to make you'd like to make cuts at 45 degrees and fills at, you know, 34 degrees, uh, you know, maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. Let us help you do a design that when you build it, you have a mm -hmm. better chance of having it work out. And as we keep going down the, the list here, um, you know, the risk is higher because we're coming in after decisions have been made, after work's been done. And so hopefully it all works out. But, you know, <laughs> then we have the uh, an investigation, you know, when we're, um, you know, either investigating, uh, exploring the site or coming in to look at something after the fact. But, you know, construction, uh, a lot of folks. Uh, like our design recommendations, but then they don't want to invite us out to make sure that it's done right. You know, that's another problem. And so we can do that. We can monitor things. Uh, we can monitor them proactively uh, because there's a risk or we can come in and monitor things after something happens and tell you, you know, how bad is it? When do you need to bail out? Um, and then mitigation is the last one. That's that's at the extreme when something really bad has happened and then you get the call. So, you know, the earlier on, the, usually the less it costs, or at least the work is more balanced and, you know, you're mitigating risks from the get go mm -hmm. uh, and your chances of being able to walk away from the project without worrying about it are that much greater, you know. No, thank you for uh, going through those. So, you know, this might be more for personal interest, but, you know, whenever you talk geotech, whether it's with someone preparing to take an exam or if it's with a, a geotech engineer that's been practicing for a while, the term seepage is is always being thrown around there. Um, so under what circumstances should someone even be concerned with seepage? And, and if so, how is that addressed? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, groundwater per se isn't, isn't seepage if there's not really flow in any given direction. So that's usually not a problem other than if you're going to excavate into it or something. So seepage is, is something that obviously you're going to come on, come in, uh, need to address if you're dealing with, uh, you know, slope stability issues, uh, design of levees and dams, things where there's going to be a differential water surface mm -hmm. from, you know, point A to point B. And so, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, areas in the, in the uh, you know, Western Plains that look high and dry, but there's actually granular layers and things that, you know, trap water that, that influence, you know, uh, the slope stability and uh, may or may not be addressed if you're uh, building a, you know, placing a fill against a bank that has seepage coming out of it, that water is going to weaken the material that you put against it. It's got no way to escape anymore. So it starts to build up mm -hmm. and, you know, do things. So any, anytime you have layered soil systems, um, you know, you have water traveling from point A to point B exiting somewhere and you're going to impact that exit um, where your structure or your, you know, fills are going to be exposed to flowing water um, where you're impounding water, you know, and this could also be um, things like uh, uh, tailings basins and, you know, any, anywhere there's, there's free water that's going to want to infiltrate mm -hmm. through your, um, through your project, or you build something that en ends up, um, you know, creating the seepage, you know, is a problem. So any, anytime there's, uh, you know, uh, impounded surface water or, you know, or flow through your project or something is, uh, appropriate. Makes sense. So, you know, when it comes to maybe education or training um, or just schooling as a whole, you always heard there's two, I guess, schools of thought or two different types of people, right? You had your people that were book smart and then you had some people that were just they're street smart or maybe we'll call it in our case, real world, ex real world experienced. So sometimes when people are, you know, either preparing for an exam or training for a new role or a new position, they read a book or they read a manual, but that isn't always painting the entire picture. So what I'm trying to get at is, you know, let's just look at engineering um, or education in engineering. Um, how can educators infuse real world experience in education for engineers? That's yeah, that's a great uh, observation. In fact, I'm the I'm the street smart guy who became more educated. Uh, I have a degree in I have a degree in geology. I have my licensure, but I don't have a degree in in engineering uh, or geotechnical engineering, civil engineering. So, um, as a geologist, I got into the engineering world. Um, I can use my geology background, obviously, but there's a lot of technical things that I had to learn on the job. And so, uh, I actually had a guy. Uh, uh, another engineer in my first company after a couple of years come up to me and he say, I don't see you reading much, you know, uh, because everybody was telling me what to do, you know, just, just give them this amount. That's all they need. Or, uh, this is how much that costs or just, just do this. So I was content for a while to be just good at those things. You know, I can write something, I can calculate something, I can just give them this number, but I never thought about why I was doing it. And so, um, the street smart stuff is important because you need to, um, the technical, the, well, the, both for different reasons. The technical stuff makes you competent using the tools. You know how they work. You mm -hmm. you, you can think good about math. You know, there's mm -hmm. people that, that do that better than I do, you know, uh, with elaborate analysis and stuff. And um, 
but you have to understand, you know, what are you putting into that? Where mm-hmm. are you getting it? What does it mean? What's important again? And then, um, you know, to be uh, develop some uh, sort of like an artistic mind to think of how do I, how do I take this project of mine and spin it around in 3D and think about what's going to go wrong or what's what's drive what's driving the the technical needs so that I do it the best I can. Um, so there's both of that. So I I kind of envy people that know what they want to do. They go they they get into school. They study hard. They you know they're really super smart at the stuff they know. Um, they get their graduate degrees and things like that. And, you know, but then they can, some of them can stutter because they come out and, and yeah, the real world is different because contractors don't care if you know how to, you know, study the something molecular with clays, you know, they, they want a person who can understand, uh, and help them do their work better. Um, so I've been playing catch up, you know, and I still do, I still have to read, I still have to get uh, geologic reports and documents relative to the new areas I'm going into and things like that. Um, you know, but, uh, you, you definitely have to have them both because you can be caught, um, not understanding how to apply what, you know, then you can feel dumb or you can kind of know what's going on, but not, you know, not have the tools or use them and you, then you feel dumb too. You know, so, <laughs> um, it's all of that. You know, the other thing about education though, too, is, Again, going back to the questions, it tie, everything ties into, you know, learning and talking with people, um, you know, me helping uh, my clients and civils and contractors understand what I do and why I do it helps both of us. You know, I can bounce the things off of them. They can they can nod their heads and say, yeah, I get that. And then they can talk to me about how they do their stuff. And then, you know, then I have a better I can I can be a better consultant the more I know about them. And they can be a better partner, you know, uh, the more, more they know about what I do. Um, so that education is, is super important. And, um, uh, and it's, I think it's something that you do as a, a you know, benefit to your profession is, um, you know, don't just be smart and do your job. Get out there and share what you know, you know, and make everybody smarter. That, you know, that's kind of the goal. I appreciate you sharing the path. It's an interesting path you took, and it also shows that you don't have to take a direct path. You know, uh, you don't have to, you know, major or be an engineer student to uh, to have fall in love and enjoy the um, industry as engineering. You can take a different route. Um, well, you kind of have to now. I mean, I, I was grandfathered into taking the PE exam because right. I had a geology degree, but now you do have to have the degree. No, correct, correct. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, but I guess what I'm trying to say is you don't have to know right, maybe right away the path that you want to yes. go. You can you can get yep. there maybe taking a longer journey. Yeah. Um, but I do agree, you know, you read a book, but like you say, you get out in the field and you're like, holy cow, I read about it in that book, but it doesn't look like it did in the book. If you're lacking that real world experience, you might kind of struggle on how to address uh, that particular situation. So a combination of both is always is always great. Um, you know, geology, um, engineering. So what in the world is an engineering geologist? That's uh, uh, basically just a specific um, title for a uh, uh, person that's uh, geologically focused, but applies it to engineering. So you have engineering geology and geotechnical engineering. So geotechnical engineering is more of the engineering of, of soils and, you know, in a, in a general way, rocks based on soil mm-hmm. theory. Engineering geology is, is more of the uh, application of, of, of engineering needs to a geologic situation. So those registrations, um, I have those in California, Oregon, where um, 
you know, the, the registered professional engineer, the PE has, and, and, uh, uh, engineering geologist has to have to collaborate on a lot of projects where, uh, the behavior of, uh, rock masses and, you know, stability from a geologic standpoint is critical to, uh, um, to the solution of those problems. I appreciate you sharing that. So, you know, Charles, it's been a great time chatting with you and, uh, you know, we're coming to an end here today, but is there any words of wisdom or last parting, not parting thoughts seems so final, but um, any um, last words you want to share with the audience for the day? Yeah. Well, yeah, a couple of things. One is uh, learn, learn from the failures, explore those and share them, you know, because they're not something to be uh, hidden away. You know, we all learn from those, but I'll, I'll pass along a, if it's okay. There's a, sure. Lawrence Gonzalez wrote a book called uh, Deep Survival um, about, you know, people in situations where they have to save their own lives, you know, and this <laughs> was a, a little extreme from an engineering standpoint, but he had what he calls the rules of adventure. And I like these because I, you can apply them to anything. And this is about saving your life, but it's also about, I think, project competency. Um, first one is perceive, believe, then act. You know, you take a look around, you assess the situation, you understand what's going on, and then you make decisions, you know. Second, um, avoid impulsive behavior. You know, again, patience, observation, um, thinking, and then, you know, and this comes in where you have uh, clients and, you know, people that are putting pressure on you to come up with a decision or something, you know. Um, third, uh, know your stuff. So read the books, get your experience, uh, know what's going on um, technically and professionally, you know terms of interaction. And that that's something that examinees should be thinking about in their career as, as they're already developing. Um, now, um, fourth one is be humble. Um, you're never going to know it all. And you're never going to be uh, in a situation where you're just, uh, I've been here before I've done this. If you're really growing, you're going to be seeing new things all the time. And some of them might be scary. Um, so apply those other rules. Uh, fifth <laughs> one is don't fall in love with your plan. You don't, uh, you know, uh, things change and you need to have checkpoints where you proceed and then you, uh, what was the uh, review, reflect and respond with something somebody said. So each time you get there, you determine, do, am I okay? Do I need to change something before I move on? So there's that. And then finally, then there's when in doubt, bail out. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you don't have to keep digging the hole. Um, and there's times when it's appropriate either to say, hey, I, you know, I don't belong in this situation. Somebody needs to help me. Somebody needs to take over. Or this isn't a good situation. We need to get out of this, or not, or not take it. You know, uh, you have choices, and and uh, you need to balance, um, you know, those choices with, uh, uh, you know, your skills and your risks and all, all of those things. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I'd recommend the book too. No, I mean, there's some great words to live by, not just for survival, but I can see, like you said, you can use them in just everyday life. You know, mm -hmm. how many times do we come across something that's not even that serious where we make a decision before we even take the time to look around and see what's really going on? Yeah. Um, I, I tell people to have a Rolodex uh, if, if some of the younger people know what that is anymore. <laughs> but um, you have a process and it kind of includes everything that you might need to do. And even though it seems cumbersome, if you go through that every time on every job, simple or complex, it's easy enough to just check, flip through it, check off the list. You know, I don't need this, don't need this. But, you know, if you're consistent in that process um, and then the things that you, you have on your checklist, you, you know, you're not going to miss stuff. 
Agree. No matter what. I haven't heard the term Rolodex in years, but I, I'm old enough to remember what it is. I, I probably had a couple uh, growing up yeah. as well, but uh, everyone's probably thinking, what in the heck is Rolodex? They're Googling right now as they're watching <laughs> this podcast. So nice. uh, it was a great, great tool. Um, yeah. You know, one of the first organizers. But, uh, but Charles, I appreciate you coming out here. I'd love to have you back. There's so many other things I'd like to talk to you about. Um, so, you know, if you'd like, you know, we'd love to have you back on here and we can chat some more and get into some more of these exciting topics that is engineering. Um, for the rest of you out there, you know, I want to wish everybody a happy holidays. And before I let you go, Charles, you're from a cold climate, so you might have some different Christmas-like traditions up in the colder weather. You want to share what you'll be doing for the holiday season? Uh, well, I need to, uh, I need to get more lights. I know that <laughs> I, I don't necessarily have anything specific in terms of, you know, foods or, or other crazy traditions other than just, you know, just getting the lights and decorations up. But I'll, I'll admit that we're all bummed out in Grand Marais here because world's best donuts closed for the, for the season. And, uh, and we're going to miss those. So <laughs> sounds good, Charles. Hey, for everyone else again, happy holidays, Charles. We'll be having you back here again shortly. And thanks for coming out and spending some time with us. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thanks, Charles. Take care. Mm -hmm.